0: Welcome to the New Visionary Podcast, where you will hear conversations with artists and creative entrepreneurs from around the globe. From art and creativity to education and business, this podcast features discussions with some of the most inspirational visionaries in today's art world. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, and I can't wait to get started. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The New Visionary Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, and I am so, so thrilled to introduce today's podcast guest. We have the amazing Helen Driver joining us today, and Helen is a visual artist, a meditation teacher at The Rising Space, and a lecturer based in London, England, and Helen is going to be sharing her journey with us today. So welcome, Helen. Oh, thank you. What a nice introduction. I'm so excited for you to join us. And I had the pleasure of actually meeting Helen um, last month in London, and we had so much fun. But I had been following her on Instagram for a while, and we had um, connected through Visionary Art Collective and through her platform, The Rising Space. So Helen, I am just so happy you're here, and I can't wait to dive in today and learn more about you.
1: I honestly feel so humbled that you've invited me on so thank you and uh, yeah I'm also really keen to explore um, everything art and um,
0: (laughs) education too. Yes yes so usually the way that I like to um, start is just to take it way back and you are an incredible visual artist so I'd love to learn more and share with our audience a little bit more about your work as an artist and tell us, like, how did it start? Were you super creative growing up? How did your creative journey begin? So for me, I
1: was a creative child. Um, I am the daughter of an artist and graphic designer. And I think just growing up around someone who is constantly creating, but also having Visual stimulation around the house really helped, but actually, I really think that it was escaping into things like Fantasia, Walt Disney's Fantasia, and 80s classics like Labyrinth, Neverending Story, and Legend um, really fueled my imagination, and I used to create a lot of fantasy worlds that I liked to escape into. So for me, creating was really like a journey, a journey into the imagination. And I really enjoyed the fact that I could express things that maybe I didn't have the language that I have now that uh, I could communicate with the world. But mainly I created for myself, like a lot of children do. So that was really the beginning of it. It was all about journeys and connections that were made along the way which struck a chord with me with these types of films and um, especially films that had maybe just uh, music like Fantasia but it was all visually stimulating so that's what kind
0: of got me going when I was a kid. That's amazing and also really funny I just want to say because Fantasia had a profound impact on me as a child and I often think about that too because it's like you're watching that as a child and you're just seeing the incredible illustrations and it's set to the music and it's so it's really powerful how would you say that those experiences with film and you know different shows and movies and things like that and you know, obviously it inspired you to kind of create your own worlds. How has that impacted the work you create today? Is there a connection?
1: Yeah, I, I suppose there is. I think the reason why maybe you, me and a lot of children resonated with something like Fantasia is it was actually wordless, like completely wordless. But through visuals, we found stories and narratives. And that's definitely something that I focus on now in my own work. It doesn't have to have Uh, something that's really obvious or it doesn't have to have words attached to it. Uh, I like to express a connection, maybe something to do with self-care, a mindful message through my art now. And that's all about journeying, especially um, connecting with people on a very vulnerable level. So that was the stuff that I must have been doing when I was a kid, um, which was Uh, very authentic, then I kind of forgot about it when I became an adult and I got adulted out of creating with my imagination. And then it was full circle when I went through my own journey of um, mental health challenges and grief and loss. And I started to reconnect with my craft in a very authentic way and created for myself again. Um, which is I guess like I was saying full circle and so now it's very much about the journey it's very much about mindful and intentional work so all of my work has symbolism in it and I do have like a strap line that comes with my artwork just to connect with people but I don't want to give people a long reel of what it means so I actually want it to be a bit more subjective like a lot of good art
0: is. I hope mine
1: is in that category.
0: (laughs) No, that makes complete sense. And I feel like that's something we even talked a little bit about when I met you, which is that... um, the work has to have a visual impact, you know, I think. And it's different for everyone. But for me, like, I need to look at a painting and be able to feel moved before I even learn about it. I need to feel something just from just from the visuals, like you're saying. And one thing that I love about your work so much is that it's very, it has a lightness to it. It's like very delicate. And I'm wondering just in terms of your technique and, and your style and the way that you like visually create your work has it always been that way has your work shifted and evolved I mean I think for many of us our work tends to go through many phases throughout our art careers from childhood to our teenage years and then so on so how has your work sort of shifted it sounds like you've had kind of a common thread running but um, how would you describe that sort of journey or process Looking at it
1: analytically and and always analyzing your own work, it's really interesting to put like the objective hat on. And I suppose when I think about my teenage years and I think about the kind of images that I created then, there was always form. And there was always connection between the symbols and my work. I think a lot of teenage angst went into a lot of that, so tears and um, eyes and um, vulnerable imagery. <laughs> and uh, they all connected. There was a connective thread. And then I suppose that's the thing that is in my current work is there's a connective thread that builds a narrative, but it's maybe a little bit more ambiguous. I Feel like with my um, work now, there's hope in there. It's a hopeful window into something like a more balanced, sustainable life, even if it's born from a moment of vulnerability, which is what I create my imagery around, which is the vulnerability we all share, especially with mental, emotional well-being, um, which feeds into my other practice with meditation. So I think for me, structure is really important. I was a graphic designer for a a long time. I suppose I still am. I still do graphic design. So for me, it's about telling a story in a very clear way that helps me build the image. So I think about the pieces of the jigsaw, and then I think about how I want them to go together. And that kind of starts bringing the image together in a cohesive way. And I I think the hardest thing is letting go of the perfectionism and actually Really trying to feel into the work, um, which is a lesson and a journey that I'm going to have for the rest of my life, I feel, because whenever you do work and you're willing to share it, the critical hat comes on. And so it's difficult to let that go. But I feel like that's something I contend with all the time and try and still share. And I hope
0: that encourages others to do the same. Absolutely. And I think that's such a beautiful answer because so many of us as artists can relate to that. I mean, It's one thing to create your work, um, which can feel a little bit vulnerable, especially if it's work that is very personal to you and kind of integrating, you know, things that you've been through in your life that just are more personal and at, at times maybe even a little bit more intense. But then to like share those works with an audience, you know, on social media or on your website or whatever it might be, it takes a lot of vulnerability and I think it takes a lot of bravery as well. So thank you for sharing that. And I wanted to ask you, what is your process for actually creating? Like, I'm, I've been more curious lately when I'm having these conversations with artists, when we talk about their work, to kind of ask, like, how is your creative process? Because I think it really varies from artist to artist. So how do you actually approach and create your work? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm always
1: fascinated to hear how others create, just because everybody's journey is very different. And I do feel like artists particularly resonate with something that's going on with them personally, if they're creating something that's maybe a little bit more raw um, and maybe that's not just something that we necessarily see, um, but that we're, I don't know, communicating something from our inner landscape rather than a landscape we might be looking at. And I love landscape work as well, but when we're talking about the stuff that I produce, where it's very much from an inward perspective, for me, it is a a lived-in process. So if I am particularly processing something that's difficult or even something that's good, um, it's not like I'm a tortured artist all the time and that's when I produce my most important work, I think. But it's just through learning, I think if I have a lesson that I've learned I like to share it visually and connect with others and you know it's like when you see a quote on Instagram or in a book you know those those old-fashioned things with pages um, <laughs> It's uh, it resonates with you and that's what I feel like I really want to do and not All art resonates, but I think you build your tribe when you are truly vulnerable. And so for me, whenever I create, I really try and do it from a place where I am sharing something that I've learned. It's a lesson. So if I've got something where I have learned about um, a particular healing process, or I've learned about connecting with nature, or if it's to do with breaking through blocks, then I can try and visually connect with that and then share that visual with other people and some people really see it and other people just may like it because it's a pretty image so I mean
0: mm-hmm. I don't
1: mind how my work reaches people but I, I feel like it's a real privilege to be able to share art and I really feel privileged when people share art and their words with me as well so it's a reciprocal relationship and I feel like however you connect with your craft doing it from a place of authenticity is probably the most fascinating process and sometimes it's the hardest one to be because <laughs> sometimes it can be ugly and accepting that is also a really important lesson so i i create not always attractive pieces of art but it's also about saying that and addressing that and and being aware of it and and that in its own right has has merit
0: Yes, to everything you said. I think like you said that so beautifully and so many nuggets of wisdom and everything you just spoke about actually, because it's so true. And I think it takes a really long time actually for us to create, not for every artist, but I know that for me and many artists that I talk to, it is a process of um, arriving at that place where you're creating work that feels really authentic. And I almost feel like we have to, work through so many layers to even get to that place, like the core, like the heart of our practice as artists, because I think there's a lot of like sort of conditioning that happens too, especially, you know, as children, we create from that place all the time and we don't even think about it because we're just drawing or painting or creating art autonomously. And then if we go to art school, we create work that we feel like we have to because it's you know, important or because that's what is going to kind of like jive at the time with, you know, the audience, whoever's looking at it. And then I almost feel like it's kind of after going through that phase, trying to return, it's like this quest to return to that place where we were, where we were at as children, where again, we're just creating from this pure, vulnerable, like very authentic space within ourselves. So it definitely is a journey. And thank you for touching on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've you've summarised it in a very eloquent way because I think that's exactly it. It's this consistent and constant um, cycle of learning. And I think we spoke about this before, about it being a spiral up um, learning from every level and, and relearning and being unschooled because we are taught to engage with an audience and then you kind of lose your voice in that process. And it's uh, coming back to... The process of connecting with your inner child and just curiosity of creating for the sake of creating and it's a really painful journey actually because you're going against what you've been conditioned to believe for so long and whilst education is so important because it teaches you skills and practical things um it can also be detrimental to your vision as a person and yes. also your authentic self which is a really weird uh sort of double-edged sword because you you want to be equipped to create better, but it also uh, hinders maybe your self-growth, um, mm-hmm. which is a really, really strange place to be. And I think when you, like you quite aptly said, you get to a point where you really start to rediscover yourself um, as an adult and create again. And I think that journey is an ongoing life journey, which I'm definitely on. And I'm sure, you know, you and, and every artist who's creating for themselves is constantly on, is recalibrating and relearning and discovering. And it's a very strange journey to be out of the system. Yeah, finding out what,
0: what resonates. Yeah, it's a process. It's a long process, as you said. Like, I think it takes many years. And I think it's also important Um, And you're kind of, you know, touching on this as well, like when you were describing your own process. But I think it's really important to understand and accept that our work is going to continue to shift and evolve and change over time, you know, as we go through all these phases that we're chatting about now. And that's okay, you know, I think that's the case for most artists and your work will probably continue to shift and evolve. But I think even just to reflect back on your own work and kind of oftentimes we can identify common threads that were there from the beginning, as you even described with your own work. But I want to shift a little bit because I think that everything you're describing also connects so well to your platform, the community that you created, the rising space. And I want to learn more and share a little bit more about this platform with our listeners. So will you tell us about The Rising Space? Where did it all start? Um, How does it connect to your art practice? And what kinds of things do you offer? Yeah,
1: sure. So I launched The Rising Space officially in lockdown. I was working in the creative industry and education sector for over a decade and then I worked in a teaching job which uh, then was it was a contracted job and it ended um, in the middle of the pandemic and I'd already discovered mindful practices, meditation and lots of healing practices that I needed um, in the wake of losing my mom. and I had been holding space very casually for friends. Um, When I say holding space, I mean, you know, one-to-one spaces, even circles, um, mainly for women, but some men as well. And I was just creating a supportive community uh, with my close circle and talking about vulnerability, talking about things that we were moving through and uh, sort of recalibrating the way we were talking about mental health to be a bit more accepting and I think now we've seen uh, that people have changed the language around mental health to be so much more accepting but even you know when I uh, launched the rising space and in the years before that there was still a little bit of stigma maybe there still is but I was really trying to tackle demystifying uh mental health and grief and loss and breakdowns and all of those sort of things and I was just very curious so Then I really wanted to carve out something in a more professional light, but I wasn't really sure what that would be. And so it was at the same time I started to connect with my own craft and began illustrating and drawing and painting for myself. And then it kind of came to fruition when I thought about what this actually meant you know, these these gatherings and then, then my art and how there was a sort of symbiosis with both. And I thought this is the perfect time to do it or the worst time in the world <laughs> when we're all in lockdown. But what a way to connect if it's possible uh, to reach people through visuals. And then Zoom became a thing and I connected with other people via Zoom when I couldn't see people physically. And... That was basically the birth of The Rising Space, which, um, even in its name, is a place where I feel we are we continue to grow and learn and get uplifted, even through the difficulties. And I wanted to create a space that was accepting of all those things. And so I launched it um, in the first year of the pandemic and then took the risk of kind of being exposed on Instagram, which was very new to me. I was kind of just looking at other people's accounts but I hadn't I hadn't got anything on my own. And then I started to build slowly but surely, a community through being very radically honest about my ongoing journey through self-discovery, through healing and I started sharing my visuals very slowly but surely. And from there it started again a bit of traction. And I started to hold free spaces for people to connect um, together. So I was building community. And then um, I started to host gatherings where people could donate. And then I started hosting gatherings where people felt like they wanted to invest and um, keeping it all very reasonable. And same with my art, I keep everything very reasonable, but I still produce sustainably and really high quality stuff. But I wanted to make everything accessible. I didn't want to create this like very niche space where everybody felt like it was it was out of their reach. I wanted to make it somewhere that people felt they were accepted for who they are and also gain artworks they could have in their space, which they could afford. So that was the birth of it. And now we're out of the pandemic and I'm now holding physical space again because Between the two lockdowns that we had, I was holding physical space and I started to really enjoy that. And then, yeah, I've started to hold physical space, but also launching things like my one-to-one sessions for clients. But the joy of the fact that we had Zoom means that I have people who live all around the world and I can hold space for them uh, in the comfort of their own homes. And it's still really special and still really beautiful and people who live more locally can come and see me and I create uh, rituals and practices and it's very person-centered. So I really work with intention when I work uh, alongside people and guide them through their own process, their own journey. And I like weaving creative practices into it to um, help people connect. So all of this has been really intuitive, but then I discovered things that I did want to actually train in. So I became a cacao practitioner, which is an ancient plant medicine. It's basically a raw form of chocolate, and it's um, very uh, ancient, enjoyed by Mesoamericans. So I trained to use that in my practices, and then I also trained to hold uh, circles. So I think it's just been an intuitive journey. Again, journeys. (laughs) Everything is a journey, and that's kind of what led me to create this space, which I'm still
0: curious about and I'm still journeying with every day. It's so incredible and I think that the work you are doing, not even I think, I mean the work you are doing is so powerful because I truly believe that you know as artists, as creatives, to make art and and all of that is really powerful but to then even take it a step further and create communities that are kind of like rooted in our creative practice is one of the most powerful things you can do and you know, I can speak from experience because I've been to one of your virtual sessions and you have such a beautiful way of holding space for people and just creating this moment of calm. I can imagine that, especially during the pandemic, that was so helpful, but even coming out of the pandemic, right? Like we all have so much going on in our lives and I will include all of your information so that if anyone is interested in joining you or working with you, they have access to you, but it's just incredible the work you're doing and, um, I think it's so cool, too, that you see everything as a journey and everything is a work in progress because it is. And especially, you know, like even for myself, having VAC as my platform and we recently launched the magazine, I try to always think of things as well as works in progress because there's so much room to grow and expand. And I wanted to kind of ask you, like, since launching The Rising Space, you know, you've obviously had a, an incredible impact on so many people. How has it impacted you? Has there anything that's kind of like shifted or changed within you since you launched it?
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. I think the most profound shift for me is something that, again, this is coming from a place where I'm really learning in the open. And I I think it's so important that if you are holding authentic space for others, that you are in turn um, authentic. With, um, with where you're at. And I think some of the things that I share with my clients or I share through my art, I sometimes forget to embed in my own practice. And so for me, it's a continual journey to question and relearn. So I think the le- lessons that I've been learning recently are um, to be to let go of anger, uh, which is a really tricky one, and to embrace forgiveness, which is <laughs> also goes hand in hand with that and um to try not to blame because I think that's something I'm personally going through at the moment and I'm having to remember that if I'm preaching this stuff in a in a non-preaching way if you know if you know what I mean where I'm I'm voicing this with people that I'm also need to remember that I need to be gentle in my approach too because it's that mentality that if you are pouring poison into yourself through hatred of others because they can't meet your needs, it's, it's not, not doing any harm to them, but it's doing harm to yourself. And I think what I've always thought of is the medicine comes from within and we can't outsource that. And that's something that I'm continuously looking at at the moment is I need to heal from within and not outsource my healing outside, which is something I'm revisiting a lot. And I think that's probably my biggest takeaway. And when I'm holding space for others and they're communicating something maybe of a similar ilk with me, it makes me reevaluate what I'm going through. It's actually incredibly cathartic holding space for other people because. I get to listen to my own words of advice and take note. And then I go away and I think about it. So part of community and part of this sort of space sharing is not about me sitting on a higher platform than anybody else in a guru-like state because I'm absolutely not that person. I'm very much on the same level as everybody else. I'm very much a person who is still on their journey But what I can do is offer my insight because I am on that journey with them and I can still hold safe space. And then I can do that for myself afterwards. So it's a very reciprocal relationship that I don't share in space because that's not the place to do it. But I take it away and then I embed it into my practice. Then I learn from it and then I can reintroduce that into my visual work and then um, the space I hold for others. And it feels really enriching. And the you know, the feedback I get from my clients is, is that it resonates. And that's because I always aim for it to come from a very authentic place, because that's how we connect as human beings. Um, We don't learn from people who think they know it all. We learn from the people who say,
0: I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so true. And I think that is such a beautiful and powerful place to be. You know, I'm not above you. I'm in the trenches with you. And I can, you know, walk you through this journey and offer as many insights as I can to help you while I'm also continuing my own growth and learning. And I think people respond, like you're saying, people respond really well to that. And oftentimes that's what people need. Like you're saying, they don't need someone to just talk at them or like tell them what to do, but what people are really looking for. And I've even kind of found this through my mentorship. People are looking for someone who is there with them and present with them and can say, if they don't have the answers, I I might not know this, but I will look into this for you. You know, I will figure this out um, the best I can to help you. And just to know that, um, you know, you're a human, we're all humans and we're all figuring it out and doing the best that we can. But I just think that's such a beautiful philosophy and mindset that you have. And I think that is like the true traits uh, of a good leader, of a strong, powerful leader is someone who is there with the people and present with them and doing everything they can to help them versus feeling, you know, above them. And thank you so much for sharing that.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I I think that's it is letting go of the ego is one of the hardest things ever because that's what we are conditioned to believe but you're so right it's um knowing that you're with the people and the people feel like they're with you that's where the real medicine lies it's
0: beautiful so yeah absolutely i agree it's so true and and i also just like i can relate to what you're saying as well in terms of like when you're advising others offering your insights and giving advice there is always a part of you that, when you walk away from that, whether it's a session where you're holding space for someone, or in my case, maybe a mentorship session where I'm working with an artist, you know, you walk away and you're like, "Okay, am I following all of these things that I'm <laughs> that I'm teaching and sharing?" And it's kind of like is a really beautiful way that like to to check in with yourself. It kind of forces you to check in with yourself, and I think we you know, teaching and learning is such a beautiful relationship because as you teach, you learn, you learn more about yourself. You, the advice that you give, you're always wondering like, how can I better serve my community and those that I'm teaching? Am I also taking the advice that I'm giving and making sure that you are, or thinking about how you can integrate it more? And it's just this beautiful relationship. You are growing while those who you are serving are also growing. And, you know, if you are, teaching if you're doing it right I think it's the most powerful thing there is and I actually this is a really nice segue into the next thing that I want to chat with you about which is your work as an educator and a lecturer and I want to hear all about that and tell me how that started for you moving into that kind of role. So the way that I started was um,
1: I think the main reason getting into teaching I was doing I was dabbling a little bit before I trained And then I lost my mom. And this, like I've mentioned before, was a pivotal moment for me, not only to discover healing practices, to just get me through the day initially, and then it started to become a way of life. Um, And she was an educator and an amazing teacher. Uh, You know, there was always a testament to her teaching practice at the end of every year when she was showered with gifts and mainly cards, actually, which... It was so astounding, people's children or children who wrote to her as well as the parents, um, just saying how much she changed their lives. And I, I was always surprised by how humble she was. And sometimes she didn't believe the things that were being written about her. I suppose seeing her be a teacher and seeing that connection and with with children and seeing how she was in this amazing position to inspire the future generation of uh, young thinkers. It, it did touch something in me, but I never really thought I would go into that world. I was very much following my dad's route of the creative pursuit into graphic design and curating and gallery management and, and then all of those areas, all the creative industry areas that fascinated me. And then... <laughs> I uh, followed my mum's footsteps after she passed away and trained to teach in secondary school but always wanting to work with older students which I'm doing now at college and it was a really interesting journey where I felt I was connecting with her in some way kind of following the same footsteps as she must have taken when she was uh, when she was being trained and that was really the ongoing journey I had, and it was a really strange one because I doubted my practice a lot at the beginning. Maybe being ego driven and coming from insecurity, and I was very much at the beginning of my grief journey. So I found I found it quite challenging <laughs> holding space in the classroom, um, being confronted by hormonal <laughs> teenagers, um, and then uh, also healing myself. And it was it was trying to get this balance, which I feel I'm starting to get now that I have more of a balance with my um, stuff as a as a lecturer and then my own business. And it's it's been a really interesting journey to navigate. And I love working with students who um, embrace the challenges, embrace the difficulties and the mistakes. And that's what I try to encourage now is... We are all fallible, messy humans. And it's really important to find the joy and find the the reveal in the mess. And that's what I try and encourage with each student is, yes, it's not going to work out straight away. But through that process, you've, you're going to learn something. And don't be afraid to try something. And I, I'll, I'll help you with a skill that might change things, tweak things to help you achieve your vision and if it doesn't work out that's okay too because I don't have all the answers but you will find a way of creating something and learning something new or recalibrating and doing something differently so I think in my I think the last few years I've really come into my teaching practice more working with older students and having those kinds of conversations with them where I'm really being very openly Vulnerable, And like you said earlier, I don't know it all. I am very honest about that, but I will help them try and find a solution to help them get over a hurdle. And so for me, that's really important. And I think that's what helps connect people again. So it's, you know, this, this interesting thing of holding space. It's everywhere. It's the workplace. It's as an educator. It's as an artist. As soon as you connect with another human being, it's through those kinds of dialogue where you can really move into interesting and
0: fascinating areas of learning about yourself and what you do. Oh my goodness, thank you for sharing all of that and I already know that you are such a phenomenal teacher because of your approach and just who you are and how much you practice self-reflection and I think that is one of the best lessons that you can teach your students is, especially from an early age, is to show them that, hey, I'm making mistakes too. And to like model that process for them, making a mistake and working through it. And I remember just kind of like adding on to what you were saying, when I was a younger teacher and I would make a mistake, I would be so worried, you know, of what my students would think because I wasn't, I think as educators, we feel like we have to be, and and again, that can be, Um, In a mentorship relationship, it could be in a traditional teaching relationship, but anytime you are the one that is kind of, you know, your responsibility is to teach, you feel kind of like you have to be perfect and have it all together. But actually, when your students, regardless of age, but I think definitely, like I said, when they see this from an early age... They see you making mistakes and owning it and working through it and, and not giving up. And they see that process modeled for them. They feel so much safer in making mistakes. And, um, you know, to show them that that is okay and that's just part of life. I think that's actually way more impactful than showing them that you have it all together. So I can totally see how you moving into a more vulnerable space has opened that door to deeper connections and, um, and a greater impact amongst your students.
1: Absolutely. I mean, don't you remember the teachers when you were younger being the ones that are holding their hands yes. up and going, hey, I'm human. And you yep. going, oh my God, you, you connect in that moment because you realize yeah. that they are just human. They're, they're, they're not just sitting on this pedestal um with with every single textbook crammed in their head with all the answers and it's really humbling and actually reassuring like you say it's a safe they, they create a safe environment as soon as they take the mask off and the veil is lifted it's it's really empowering and so you're absolutely right as soon as we stop trying to um be perfect and we stop trying to um cover up our mistakes and we just own it it's a really therapeutic process for everybody involved
0: yeah absolutely and I think too like teaching kind of you know you're kind of alluding to this as well it te- it teaches you so much about yourself and I think that many teachers go into education feeling like they have to have it all together and be this perfect teacher but actually you learn along the way I am going to make mistakes that's just part of it It's actually better that I do because it shows my students, you know, like we're saying that I am human. And I think even I've kind of been thinking about this lately because even though I'm not um, in a traditional teaching setting anymore, but I'm mentoring most days and working with, you know, a ton of incredible artists through mentorship, you know, I realized you don't, but it goes for teaching. And I think it really goes for anyone who's serving a community. It's very simple. All you need to do is be present and listen. Like Mm. in addition to sharing your own insights and, you know, of course, reflecting and making sure that you are sharing your knowledge in a way that's uh, effective and all of that is important. But ultimately what it comes down to is just being present with whoever you're with, whether it's a class of students or just one person that you, in your case, you're holding space for, or in my case, maybe I'm, you know, mentoring and it's just being there with them as present as you can be and just really listening to them. And oftentimes it's when you're really listening and you're kind of reading between the lines of what they're saying that you can get a deeper understanding and then you respond to that with your knowledge and your teaching and your insights. But it's it's actually much more simple than I think I thought when I was learning how to teach. I don't know if you had a similar experience, but you know, you realize that over time. Uh, yeah, definitely. I
1: think... You go into any kind of teaching, uh, like you said, with your mentorship, with me holding space to in education, any any responsibility where you are, you have people who are coming to you for any form of advice or help. There's this feeling that they're not looking to you for uh, solutions. It's actually just walking alongside them and feeling truly heard. It's um, a very humbling experience when, you know, I'm sure we've both experienced it where someone is coming at it from a solutions-based approach, which sometimes is really important, um, especially if there's a practical thing um, that you need to address. But when it's to do with emotional things or a crisis in confidence or something along those um, lines, it's really important that they have a space to feel truly heard and then be vulnerable and then you respond in kind because we do have the knowledge as educators to be able to navigate, but it's not about being told what to do. It's about just having the door slightly open and being kind of, you know, the metaphorical handholding to lead through the door. And that's that's the difference between a good educator and a bad educator um, being mm-hmm. pushed through the door or going alongside someone Um, I'm feeling very supported on that journey through. Love
0: this conversation because (laughs) it's so true. And it's even making me think of, um, there's this really awesome educator, Candido Crespo, who I connected with through VAC. And he does work in a traditional school setting with younger kids, but his philosophy, and it's very much in line with what we're talking about. You can apply it to anyone who has, you know, is serving a community or serving someone in, in some capacity. And he talks about how in his classroom, you know, of course he invests time in lesson planning and classroom structure and routine and all of those things that are important. But his number one thing is relationship building with his students. He says that that has to come first. Otherwise the learning isn't accessible. So he focuses Everything that he does on a day to day in the classroom on relationship building with every individual student he works with. And everything else, you know, he's an amazing educator and extremely knowledgeable, but everything else comes second um, and it has to. And I think that's actually a very progressive, forward thinking way of approaching teaching in in any capacity is like we're saying, you don't have to be the most knowledgeable person. Um, You don't have to have it all together. You just need to be present and listen to your students and be there with them and build that relationship. Because if they can't build that relationship with you, they can't really access you or the learning in a deeper way. You know, it's not possible. So I love these conversations. (laughs) Me (laughs) too. They're so important. Yeah. And I wish that guy was my teacher when I was growing (laughs) up. Wow. Amazing. I know. Well, Helen, I, I think this is such a, Good note to wrap up on because it's been such a powerful conversation. I knew it would be um, because you're such a bright light and such an amazing human. I'm so happy we connected. And tell us, I will include all of your information in the notes for this episode, but tell us where we can reach you for your artwork, for the Rising Space, all the beautiful things that you are doing. Thank you. I know it's been a really
1: enriching conversation. So thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. So um, you can connect with me at www.therisingspace.co.uk, and I'm on Instagram, therisingspace, no underscore, no dots, nothing. Um, and really, it's uh, if you just Google, you can find the Rising Space, and I should pop up hopefully if Google does its job on the first page. And yeah, and there's plenty of things to discover on my website. I've got a mindful creativity course coming up in October. And um, I'm just always fascinated about making, forging connections, making connections. And so, you know, I want people to feel like they can reach out to me with questions or sharing a story of theirs, journey, you know, all of those things that make us very inherently
0: human. So please don't be afraid to connect with me. Amazing. Thank you so much for the incredible conversation, Helen. And to everyone listening, thank you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in and supporting our platform. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or tag us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.